Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started, a couple things. I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton with visibility and get the show out there. You can subscribe wherever you like to find your podcast, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in. I'm sorry, it's not Google Play. Google Podcasts. I got corrected about that. Stitcher, tune in. We're on Spotify. If you're one of those people like me that likes to have all of your audio in one place, you can subscribe wherever you found it. Share it with your friends. We know you have a ton of friends that are into Texas Longhorn sports. Also, our podcast host, Pottyan, is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial of their premium services and then an additional 25% off your first three months of an already affordable premium membership. Now, I talk about Pottyan a lot but one of the best things about this site is just that they handle all of the technical stuff for you we needed to submit our podcast uh, rss link to a couple of different services these last few weeks and it was a one-click process they created the rss feed and it just sent it out how we got on spotify because i clicked a button on on potty we got on tune in because i clicked a button on potty so if you want an easy podcast setup all you got to do is record edit, and then upload it. They take care of the rest. You can sign up at podient.co. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code Longhorn to get a 14-day free trial of their premium membership and 25% off your first three months. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who just gave you a career to destroy it, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm good, except being uh, absolutely drunk on the Kool-Aid. I'm back, baby. We uh, we called it. The, the sunshine has been pumped, and we uh, feel feeling pretty pretty self smart. Not only not only for what we will talk about, what was a great uh, great UT football game this week, um, but also as this is the foremost uh, punting and Australian uh, immigrants and their work status in the United States podcast, uh, Michael Dixon continues to be the best thing about Longhorn football in the past. I don't know ten years. Um, we went into into depth on his punting on my bang the drum, I think the last six podcasts, so I won't do it this, but I have to do it in the opening. I don't know if y'all saw this, but he did a drop kick on a kickoff, which pinned them at the one. They ended up starting at the 15. That's good ROI plus LOLs. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> Dixon is killing it, and I want to go ahead and put this out there in the ether for the world. I want this to be the official uh, rallying point for all of our – millions and millions of listeners around the world go to nfl.com it's got to be the real one don't get a knockoff go to nfl.com and get yourself a mike dixon seahawks jersey let's get him in the top 10 nfl jerseys this season let's knock tom brady off his perch um or russell wilson or whoever it is but uh let's uh let's go ahead and get mike dixon the respect he deserves for being one of the best players in the nfl how are you gerald Uh, so two quick things one this is in no way, shape, or form sponsored by the NFL or Michael Dixon. Uh, so that was not an ad. That's just Kyle's unabashed. That's just Kyle's unabashed uh, excitement for punting. And two, I need to know how long did it take you to to come up with ROIs and LOLs. 
that's off the dome, my brother. That's 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 what you get when you listen to this podcast. Is I had um, a, a bourbon earlier, and then I changed it with an iced coffee. And so what that does is it gives me a weird warp where you get some real witty stuff, and then my brain will stop for a few minutes. So if you get the good stuff, really cherish it because I mean it's good. It's the good. So you just promised our listeners diminishing returns from here on out. I'm fine with it, uh, which is possibly the story of Texas this season, but we'll come to that later. Uh, so. We, we talked a bit last week that Texas had a shot in in this game against USC. They were favored by a slim margin, and I was cautiously optimistic. And that first quarter, I felt like my optimism was being uh, hit with a baseball bat and then thrown into the street and set on fire uh, after Amon Ross St. Brown caught for a million yards in that first quarter uh, <laughs> and just absolutely torched the Texas secondary. And then... I don't know what happened, but Texas did this thing where they scored 34 unanswered points and put the boots to USC to win 37-14. to They haven't beat anybody that bad since Kansas the year after they beat Texas. So it, it was a tale of, of, of really one of the more complete games as far as all three phases of the game go, whether it's you know offense, the offense didn't turn the ball over, they played pretty consistently, kept a clean pocket. The defense obviously shut USC down. They did not score for the final uh, you know three quarters of the game plus a little bit of the first quarter. Uh, and then special teams, Texas finally has a kicker. We are, again, the foremost Texas Longhorn punting and kicking podcast. And Dicker the kicker hit a pair of 46-yard beauties. He had a couple more yards in him, I think. Uh, but he hit those two, one of them as time expired in the first half, to give Texas its first lead of the game. So Kyle, there's a lot to unpack here, uh, but let's start with the defense. So USC scored its second touchdown of the game with 33 seconds left in the first quarter. JT Daniels looks like he was rolling. Amon Ross St. Brown was doing whatever he wanted in the secondary. And then it kind of dried up. USC had some rushing yards at, you know, um, 23 rushing yards from their their wide their running backs and they ended up with negative five rushing yards so so what like what did you see in the defense that was different this week as opposed to maybe two weeks ago against Maryland or last week uh, in the second half against Tulsa um reboundability I guess that they got punched in the mouth um USC came out and true freshmen just attacked Texas and there's this weird thing where Texas you know, defends everyone except the, the 18 year old kid. Maybe they're just, you know, big brotherly now that we have some seniority on this defense and taking them under their wing, but stop it. Um, because, you know, we saw in the first <laughs> week against Maryland where, you know, we got roasted for three TDs and I think a thousand yards by that kid. Um, and then, you know, Amon St. Brown, Echominius, um, Ra, the 14th son of Thor, um, or whatever, you know, that guy. I, I mixed all of my gods right <laughs> you just, there. You just mixed uh, Egyptian and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Norse. That was great. Uh, I'm, I'm a man of cultural diffusion, but so he just, just romped, like you said. Um, but yeah, it was taking the punch in the mouth, and there's two ways to react to that. And maybe that's having the seniors, maybe that's having those really hungry freshmen some combination of both, but you can either kind of, kind of look at your, your lip and say, is it swollen? Oh my gosh. You know, I got, I got, you know, a date tomorrow night. Am I going to look good? Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to pit, I'm going to hit you four times as hard and I'm going to keep doing it. And you're going to regret ever doing that. And, and for the first time in a while, that Texas defense was the, you know, 
was that defense. They were that strength. I don't think they did it, you know, completely against Maryland. I don't think they did it certainly against Tulsa. And they didn't do it for four quarters this game. But certainly after the first quarter, they got punched in the mouth enough. And Todd Orlando looked like Todd Orlando, where we said um, one of the keys of the game last week was really putting the shackles on the running game. Well, they certainly did that. And I think credit for that. I mean, it's, it's really sad to see he's going to be out for two months. But credit to that goes to some to Roach, you know, who, who I thought looked great, really setting the edge. They came out in early jet sweeps, and he had the tackle push back about three yards in the backfield. And they're like, wait, it doesn't work when that is the case, when there's both a giant man and my offensive lineman in the way. Um, and I think the linebacking core in general, I think both Wheeler and, and Gary Johnson, who was the Big 12 player of the week, were just downhill. Um, I mean, Texas didn't stop everything in the secondary, but I think it was a clear game plan that they stopped everything behind the line of scrimmage. Every run, every, I mean, uh, you don't see Daniel, like their their quarterback is not a scrambler. He's not a guy who's going to really beat you with his legs too, too much, but he didn't have a chance to. Um, And anything they threw screens, our cornerbacks got off and hit him in the mouth. Like Chris Boyd, showed why he's a big physical back. Devontae Davis looked incredible when he wasn't cramping up or hurting on those types of plays, getting getting through blocks. Um, you know, and so any screens, bubbles, we took that out of their game plan because we blew them up. So all they had was the vertical ball, and they caught a couple that they shouldn't have. Those yards are a little bit inflated. There was a Brandon Jones – I'll let, we'll talk about Brandon Jones, but there was a Brandon Jones drop – through his hands, basically interception that went for like 45 yards to St. Brown. Um, there was, you know, a couple plays, there was a, uh, a PJ lock play that he just, just got beat on a literal straight go route that you hope that doesn't happen. You take those out and the numbers look a little bit better, but it's basically a vertical, um, offense that, you know, the freshman quarterback just had to chuck it up and it, it ended up in, you know, uh, an interception, a couple great defensive plays and what should have been another interception for Stearns that was broken up by, Devonte Davis, um, but you know, taking an offense as dynamic as USC and making them literal, at like a you know a, a game of jackpot where you're just tossing it up and hoping that truly really great athletes can make it work, isn't going to work against a defense with as much talent on it as Texas. So I think there's something replicable for that game plan heading into the Big Twelve. And I think the the Texas defense did a really good job of playing in USC's backfield where they were were shifting the line of scrimmage back several yards. They mm-hmm. were playing, again, behind that uh, line of scrimmage. They got three sacks where they had one through two games. So I think the defense being able to play behind USC and put them behind the chains, um, you know, I, I want to I, – I told you not to look this up, so I'm excited. So Texas, we said it, negative five rushing yards was – was their their uh, their their total for the game, which is again number twenty three twenty four all time. Wow! What what is the record the the mo- the least rushing yards allowed by a Texas defense? Uh, so I I would have said I said about twelve was my guess. So that's that's double that. Um, I, I'm gonna say uh, if we're counting quarterback sacks and everything, I'm gonna say maybe like a minus 28 30 30 minus 30 you say minus 30 final answer minus 29 minus 83 <laughs> minus 83 against SMU in 1991 just put I just I want to see your reaction live on the podcast I mean that is actually when they talk about the death penalty being put on SMU that's what they meant that's yikes 
that's not good yeah. for 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 the other guys. No, it was definitely definitely not great. But but like I said, Texas did a fantastic job, and I think third downs specifically. You know, USC was six of fifteen on third downs, which is like forty percent. But that number becomes even more impressive when you look at the fact that USC was five of six on third downs in the first yeah. quarter. Yeah. Uh, so they went one of nine through the last three quarters, which. And it, it, let's let's look at it like this. Texas did a good job of making USC play behind the chains because they had four four of those nine um, attempts at at a fourth down or a third down were longer than ten yards, and they only had I think two, if I recall correctly, that were shorter than five. So, like putting them in, they 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 push they they just were able to push USC defense or offense back, and they forced them to be one dimensional. When you do that, you can drop six guys into coverage or you can have Amon Ross St. Brown double covered. You can do those things. So their, their ability to kind of keep USC playing behind the chains uh, really allowed them to tee off and do some cool things on defense. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think, I think St. Brown out of their first five, when they went five to six, I think had four of five. Um, it really was like third and six. And he's, I mean, we, we kind of joked, he's, or I joked, he's a true freshman, but he's legitimately going to be the best receiver in the country at some point in his career before he goes to the Absolutely. NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The, the kid looks unbelievable. Like, he looks quick, he looks strong, He I mean, great hands, and he was the number one you know receiver in the country last year as a prep uh, student. So, I mean, he has the credentials. Obviously, we know the family, we know everything. He's a real, real talent, and legitimately as good as the Big 12 is, he's going to be one of the top three or four, even this year as a freshman, receivers that UT comes into contact with. So it's fine, but I think what happened, you know, like you said, it's it's a longer route, and he's so quick, and, and they, they had kind of that, that timing down. They, there was a couple routes where he would just run six yards and sit, and he's so quick that when he sat, you know, he'd either turn it into kind of like a, you know, inverted out or kind of just a quick curl that Daniels would put it right on him. And there's no way to stop that. There is no way to stop that because he's so fast you have to give him a little cushion. Um, so, you know, I think giving those long plays for their personnel made it a little bit better where you could get Devontae or Jones who can jam him off the line, get a safety over top, or, you know, give him eight yards of cushion and, hey, you have to get 11, so good luck. Um, so I think you're exactly right. That's where a game plan comes into effect, and it seems like, Orlando and Tom Herman were salivating over this and game planning for this. And I don't want to, you know, accuse, but I almost, uh, I almost wonder if there was like a little bit of, you know, you hate to say it, but getting so ready for this, pushing as, as Herman said, all their chips in for this game, for this first game of the season, as they kind of treated it and thinking they would win on talent for the first two, that maybe you wonder if they were scouted quite as well as this USC game. Not to, again, throw any any stones, but they just night and day on how the defense looked to react to what the offense could do. Absolutely. And and we're, we're going a little long on this because uh, we've got a lot in this show, but uh, we have to talk about the offense because the offense, you know, we, we threw a lot of shade at the offense these last two weeks, and the Texas offense really did something pretty special on, on Saturday. So the first quarter, 83 total yards. I was crawling out of my skin. I nearly threw my laptop. So glad my son was asleep because I said some words. It's fine. Uh, But then they ended the game with 394 total offensive yards. So they hit 311 yards in three quarters, which is incredible. So the offense, what, what changed, Kyle? What changed for this offensive team uh, where they were able to kind of Get get the the ship moving in the right direction. 
Well, I mean, the, the most basic thing about this team versus last year is the improvement in the offensive line. And I think a lot of that goes to the guys themselves putting in the work. I think a lot of it goes to Herb Hand. But I think you saw a unit that handled what is a really, really talented USC defense, at least from the guys who they have on it. You know, I don't know if they're going to be a top 20 defense in the country or anything this year. But the talent that's on it, they're going to have four dudes from that defense go play on Sundays, if not more. It's chock full, and you're facing Clancy Pendergrass, who is a one of the most seasoned you know, defensive coordinators and who just brings the pressure. That's what he does. And when you read the scouting report on Ellinger, I saw stats that it was something like his quarterback rating was like 7 when he had pressure in him, and it was like 119 uh, or 129, something like that, when he, when he had a clean pocket. So it's very clear, get pressure on Ellinger, the offense falls apart. Well, what happened was... A, the line held up better against that. Um, And then I think, secondly, you have to give him credit because you give him criticism. Is Ellinger, after the first quarter, really sat in and with guys in his face made throws, which is not something he's done all year. Even on third downs, they didn't convert. I counted at least three, I think, where there was drops. That should have been third down conversions where he put the the ball on on the money. You know, there was one little Jordan drop. There was one that Colin uh, Johnson dropped where he had a touchdown, um, but, you know, he got it knocked out of his hands about four different times on a jump ball. uh, and He kept fighting for it, but that thing eventually rolled out. So it's not anyone's necessarily fault, but the numbers could be even better for Ellinger, who who did exactly, again, like Herman said, what the game plan was, which based on USC's defense, when they're going to send that on you, you're going to have to take some shots. And he picked his spots, and when he needed to, and he needed to settle down, and they had to get the completion, and it was on third down. And again, great job by the line, great job by the running backs, getting manageable situations where he could he could convert those. He went in, and he did what he needed. And again, looked like a different quarterback with pressure in his face, looked like a guy who could succeed with that. So I think um, offensive line and Sam are my two kind of hero takeaways um you know sam i think was quoted as is as, as saying something you know to the team um you know o-line did your job the defense tapped out by the end of the game and there's no bigger um praise to give to your offensive line from a quarterback than to say you know what by the end of the game they didn't want any more of you uh cosme played with a split ear they called him one ear cosme i mean he was uh kept going and went through an entire game i mean it was it was Warriors in the trench, and, you know, as a quarterback, as a running back, as receivers, all of your money positions, that's what you benefit from. That's what we have been calling for, for for months, and that's what hopefully we're finally starting to see a bit of a, a turning point. Yeah, and I, one, we have to talk about Ellinger because we have been, you know, team boosh for the entire season. So Ellinger played a heck of a game, and they go they went in – Knowing he was going to have a ton of interceptions, he was below 50% on his completions for the game. But when push comes to shove, the guy ended up with 223 yards and two scores. And he rushed for 55. Right. So that's that's a good game. That is a, that is an incredible game. And I think the, the running game outside of Ellinger, yep. um, Trey Watson was able to do quite a bit. And, you know... He there were a couple spots where I think he left yards on the field, but when push comes to shove, seventy five yard or seventy two net yards he lost. I think had one carry for a negative three, uh, but he averaged four a carry. Daniel Young came in yep. and put a put some bodies on people, like laid the hit on some people. He averaged four point eight yards, basically five yards a carry. Uh, so the the running game was able to take some pressure off of the passing game. They were able to run some run pass options where you actually have to respect the run and they were able to open up some things in, in the passing game. And, and 
you know, again, Ellinger stood in the pocket. He didn't abandon the pocket as quickly as he has in the past. He went through his progressions and he played well. Now, I think there there are still some issues where he'll he'll sail a couple balls. He'll he'll miss some receivers. I still don't understand how you overthrow Devin Duvernay. <laughs> I will say that until the cows come home. That guy is way too fast yep. to be overthrown. But he spread the, he spread the ball around. Seven guys had receptions. You know, even though Jameson's was for negative yardage, that's fine. Um, seven different guys touched the ball in the in the receiving game. He was I honestly I think the most impressive part were the two checkdowns to Andrew Beck. Yeah, I mean Beck on third downs too. You know, that's 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 right there is like you know what I, I'm seeing Beck in one on one. I can get him six yards. If he can get me three more yards, we get a first down. And that's smart. That's smarter than trying to force it into double coverage on on little Jordan Humphrey because he's your most comfortable outlet and you go straight to him, which is a thing that we've seen Ellinger do. We've seen him lock eyes on his favorite target. Another thing that he did is he remembered that Colin Johnson loves to play USC and he should have had a touchdown. I wish he did because it looked better in the box score and he he deserves it. Um, But just, you know, he did the thing that he remembered. Wait, I'm very, very big and pretty fast and I can jump out of the building. So I'm just going to get downfield and then Sam's going to throw it high, call a high number, maybe a jackpot. And I'm going to jump up. That's my second jackpot reference. No more. I'm sorry. Um, And I'm going to (laughs) jump up and I'm going to absolutely go, go gadget it and and bring it in. And there's literally nothing that you can do. Hey, you're a cornerback and you're tall. You're six one. I still have five inches on you. So good luck. You know, like that should be, we saw what Akeem Butler did. We'll, you know, talk about that when we get to the Iowa State preview when we see what he's looking like this season but you know if you you watch any of the rest of the Big 12 a guy who just mashed and was a monster that's what Colin Johnson should be doing 79 yards six catches is a good day but this should be an average day for him that's this should be you know what we expect every single day day in day out so um there's still areas for improvement and and I think I think we'll see this I really do here's the thing that was the most promising about that connection was Ellinger, I feel like, is getting more comfortable throwing 50-50 balls to Colin Mm -hmm. Johnson, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what needs that. If Colin Johnson is in single coverage, you throw him a 50-50 ball. Yep. I can can live with that. I can can freaking live with that because, you know what? With Colin Johnson, it's not a 50-50 ball. It's an 80-20 ball. Yes, he, yes. He's going to come down with it. It's, it. That's the name of the game. So you've got to remember, and, and I'm not trying to gas anybody up, but there are there are very few secondaries in the country that can match up with one 6'6 receiver. Texas has a guy who's 6'5 and 6'6. They got a 6'5 and change in a 6'6. So it's a matchup nightmare. So I, I am totally fine with him throwing up those 50-50 balls to Colin Johnson. I would take I would take two more of those. Yeah, and 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 I, I don't want to keep you know beleaguering the point, but I want to give him praise as well because there's been a little bit of knock earlier in the season on the way our receivers have blocked, and I think that's been a point that the coaches have reinforced because on little Jordan Humphrey's you know touchdown, which was mostly yards after catch. He made the the great first play to get away from, you know, a a defender, which I feel bad for any defensive back who has to try to tackle him one-on-one. But it was Colin Johnson immediately recognizing that, getting himself back in position between uh, little Jordan Humphrey, the ball carrier, and and the defender, and blocking him downfield that really sprung that play. So that's the type of play that maybe a fan doesn't see. That's the type of play that maybe doesn't make it into the box score, but that makes a coach fall in love with you. And that makes your quarterback want to get you the ball because you're out there making him look good. It makes your other receivers want to block for you because you're making them look good that's the stuff you do to be winners that's the little things that don't go in the box score that is the difference between a winning team and a losing team that's perfect 
and then we'll jump into the recruiting. So Cody, Cody, Cody for about eighteen minutes. I was going to say the the only thing I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about, and we talked about a lot. I know we went long. Was we didn't we didn't mention it all. You talked about Dicker, but did we mention the block Ooh. field goal? Because I do think that oh, we the block talk about the block field goal is the turning point of the game. So quickly, Kyle, because again, we've got recruiting and we've got TCU. Um, we set all three phases of the game, so we've got to talk about special teams. So uh, we mentioned it, Dicker, back-to-back 46-yarders, which this is no shot, or maybe it is a shot last year from anything longer than 30. Texas was 3 of 8. We'll just leave that on the on the table there. Uh, and then the blocked field goal where our <sighs> boy, uh, it was beautiful. Stearns doing his best Michael Huff impression. Getting in there, getting a hand on it, and then the we got to come up with a you know he probably is an eighteen wheeler, forty five wheeler. He's he's four. <laughs> I don't know my math. He's at least three eighteen wheelers combined into one, one for each bicep, and then one that's the rest of his torso. That's forty two. So yeah, I think that works. No, that's um, fifty. I don't know. I don't do math. This is a, so we're journalists. We're a punting podcast, not a math podcast. That's well established. But because we're a special teams focused podcast, I think it's important that we talk about. It. So not only was Stearns our boy, not only should he have had an interception to go with it. I mean, it was unbelievable. He did everything. But they said, uh, Coach Casey Horney, or I guess he's not a uh, coach. He's on the he's on the staff. Spent all off season basically studying the special teams units of all their opponents and drawing up ways to block it. Um, and they gave a game ball to Coach Horney for doing that for his research to actually look up the way that they came in and the way they blocked that. And so I'm excited to see what our special teams does with coach Nivar and coach, you know, and Casey Horney with kind of the, the whole team really focusing on that part of the game. This could be a thing. This could be now consecutive weeks. We've blocked one. This could be a thing that we're starting to see where Texas takes special teams seriously and really, you know, prioritize and dominate on that phase of the game. But I just want to say this, Todd Orlando is a bit of a prophet because the camera caught him right before they, uh, they went to kick it. And I won't use full quotes, but he did say block this mother um, bleep. And, then it happened. So either he speaks things into existence or he had a pretty good idea that they were coming for that one. So either way, every single thing about that play, which was the turning point in the game for, for my money, um, was perfect. And it allowed Texas to pitch the three quarter shutout, um, you know, just just great. And watching Anthony Wheeler run like a bodybuilder guest uh, guest appearing on Baywatch is something that I could watch in slow motion for hours and hours on end. I almost started singing the Baywatch theme, but I didn't. But no, good <laughs> things happen when you block field goals. Last blocked field goal for Texas a year ago against Maryland. Puna Ford got a hand on it. Holton Hill returned it for a touchdown. So good things happen when you block field goals. So uh, again, Texas played one of the better games they have in a, quite a while uh, against an actual um, Power 5 opponent uh, and put together a pretty complete game. So it was really an impressive showing, and hopefully things can carry over uh, as Texas moves into Big 12 play. So it wasn't just wins on the field for Texas this weekend. Wins off the field as well. Texas hosted 60, count them, 6-0 recruits this weekend on both unofficial and official visits. So anytime we talk recruiting, we got to tap the man on the shoulder, Mr. Cody Daniel. Cody, thank you so much for coming on this week to, to chop it up with some recruiting for us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know I'm always ready to party and Talk some old recruiting. I love it. So I guess the biggest news out of this weekend, outside of the the sheer number of people, is that Texas picked up kind of a, a key commitment and a kind of broke the silence on their recruiting trail. Darian Brown, four star running back, um, had committed. So Cody, give if our listeners aren't 
as uh, into recruiting maybe as as the three of us are. Give them a breakdown of what uh, Brown adds to the class and brings to the table for Texas. Yeah, I think the first thing you'll you'll see when you see Brown is just a guy with tremendous long term upside in the fact that because of what Texas has on campus already with with Daniel Young and Keontae Ingram, so having years of eligibility, he's a guy that can come in and just kind of ease in, develop. But I mean, he's just fast. He's He's the kind of guy that you see at like an Oklahoma State or an Oklahoma or a TCU that just has that breakaway speed. I mean, in a sense, he's an effortless runner like Keontae Ingram, and then he kind of has that that speed that reminds me of um, Jamal Charles, I guess, is who I would compare him to. It's big praise. That's huge praise. And and I think the thing that stuck out to me in his tape and is he's not he's not just a running back. He plays defensive back in high school as well. And dude's willing to put put a body on some people out in the open field. So uh, the tough running back situation, uh, it's also impressive from him. And just another thing on him, I think that what people are going to realize towards the end of this cycle after his senior season's over, last year he shared a backfield. I mean, I, I didn't realize Buford was that loaded until I started following his recruitment. He was sharing touches with Anthony Grant, who's now at Florida State, and Christian Turner, who's now at Michigan, and he still had – 844 yards I mean this year only through three games he's at 500 he's a he's the kind of guy that by the end of this season he'll be a top 150 prospect Texas is getting in on these guys early I think there are a lot of guys that Texas gets in on that you know fly under the radar early and then have a big senior season and blow up he he, he definitely fits that mold of of somebody Texas hopped in on early and I mean they they got some help with Auburn adding its running back commit because that was probably the the biggest competition but that's that's how recruiting dominoes fall one guy goes somewhere you know door opens to go for, for somebody like Darian Brown to head to Texas instead of likely Auburn if they don't get that commitment. So um, there were, like we said, 60 guys on campus. And one of the biggest names that Texas brought in was uh, was five-star guy Brew McCoy, one of Kyle's probably favorite players in the class, if, uh, if I'm not speaking out of turn there. Oh, yeah. So let me just say this, Cody, before you give actual stats, I am long, long on the record saying that Texas is only as good as as many McCoys as they have on the roster. We're good when we have a Colt. We're good when we have a case. And I've been riding. I think he was one of my bang the drums on this podcast like a year ago when I first started here and even the the, the faintest rumors that we might be in the mix. Um, Brew is a hard USC lean, it sounds like. Um, but coming into this game, obviously against USC, how much ground did Texas make up, and what what are you hearing on on Brew? Um, from everything I'm seeing, Texas hit a home run with it. They got his parents on board, which I mean, well, that's that was more of a solidifying it kind of thing. Like they're completely comfortable with him leaving California, should he choose to do so. I mean, the atmosphere was out of the park. It, it obviously helps to have a 24 point win over his favorite, and I mean, I, I think with with Brew McCoy that. It, it's not going to be about recruiting him. He loves Texas already. I think it's going to be as simple as Texas winning and needing some luck from USC stumbling. I mean, it's if, if Texas was in if, – if the University of Texas was in California, he'd probably be a Longhorn. But it, it's just like the advantage Texas enjoys here with so many kids. They just grow up a fan. And right. unless USC kind of stumbles, I think that's going to be uh, a, a little bit far-fetched. But – I think Texas has a little bit more than a puncher's chance. It's just, it's not something I would bet the house on at all. Yeah, well, I mean, just from from what we talked about earlier on this podcast this Saturday, it looks like both of those things could be true. Uh, we'll see certainly how Texas does, but I mean, it very well could end up the USC is a six win team if if they don't get a couple things figured out. So that that could definitely uh, definitely push for the horns in that one. Yeah, I mean, you never 
you never want to overreact to something, but if USC turns out to be a bit better than people expected and just go ends up going through its own struggles and Texas actually beat a good team and kind of carries that over into a win versus USC and then Kansas State, I mean, it just kind of carries this on into like a nine or ten win season. Not saying right. it's going to happen, but if you give him something to see and then all of a sudden Texas has four more wins and Clay Hilton's on the hot seat, that could be a big difference. And I think we're going to see Texas push to get him back on campus, which they've already paid on their own dime to fly in from California once. So before making this decision, that's probably something that'll happen. So another guy that Texas seemed to have um, an outside chance at and maybe impressed this weekend is a guy like Trey Sanders. Uh, So, you know, he and Noah Kane are kind of the two names that are still left out there for Texas as far as running back. Um, they're both teammates at IMG Academy. So what what are Texas's chances uh, to land kind of the two remaining top – one of the two remaining top-tier running backs that's left on the board? Yeah, I would say if there's one of those guys that they're going to get at this point, it would be Sanders. Um, the guys over at the Football Brainiacs have been killing it with this coverage. Um Obviously, I don't know who their sources are, but they've been reporting uh, before his visit that a source said Texas is quietly in the lead. And after the visit, um, they said another source told them, I think we got him. So nice. um, obviously, Alabama is going to be a hard one to beat here. But I think Texas is probably the favorite uh, after this visit. Now, if Texas can hold that momentum because you know how recruiting is, a kid sees something, he likes it. There's there's that hangover effect. But. If Texas can hold on to this and obviously win some games, then I would not be at all surprised. Kane, on the other hand, if I mean he's a Baton Rouge kid, and with LSU dominating the way they are, I mean, not, what what was it in in three games? Ed Orgeron went from the hot seat to number seven in the country. So, right. uh, unless Texas lands Sanders and kind of has him in in Kane's ear, I don't think Kane is coming. But I think Sanders is a very real possibility at this point. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt anything with with like a Darian Brown coming in and basically competing right away with you know already having Keontae, uh, who looks to be you know in the mix for a couple of years you know from this year on, um, and then bringing in another recruit. You don't think that uh, that hurts or is Sanders at that good that he doesn't worry about who's in front of him? Yeah, with Sanders. Um, I mean, I think if you're talking about strictly Brown, I think Sanders is a guy who would get playing time earlier. Obviously, I mean, this is the top running back in the country we're talking yeah. about. He's just an entirely complete back. He's strong. He's fast. He has, he's the total package. He, he's why, I mean, there's, there's a reason he used to be committed to Bama. And mm. if Bama's the other top option, it's not like there's not competition there. You're <laughs> going to join a running back room with four or five former five stars. So sure. um, I, for, for a guy like that, I don't think competition will be much of an issue. And I think maybe by his, sophomore year he'll be firmly in the rotation if if he did choose texas so one of the guys that texas has but maybe is on a bit of shaky ground is is a guy javon shepherd he was a a texas commit and then you know a&m had the big the big win weight loss against clemson um you know his his friends on the team to neil carter or i guess guys that work out with the same guys uh, not getting as much playing time as they hoped and and so Tweets have been sent and sources have been cited saying that Shepard maybe isn't as solid. He was another guy that was on campus this weekend. So is that a legitimate fear for Texas? Because really, outside of Shepard, the offensive line hall, you know, they've got they've got one uh, one other big name on the offensive line. But, you know, if losing Shepard would be losing a huge piece of this class. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fear is definitely legitimate because before committing to Texas, it was a Texas A&M-Texas battle there. So... 
I mean, right. it's not like A&M just came out of left field. They've they've been in the thick of this. And, at, I mean, before Texas really pressed this spring, A&M was the favorite last fall. And it was kind of like a, a matter of when, not if. And then, obviously, Texas sw- swung things in its favor. Um, I, I think this just goes back to Texas winning. And, I mean, th- there were reports that he was right in the middle of the locker room, like leading the celebration among the recruits. And – I think it's just one of those things where Jimbo's going to have that hype. There's a new car smell and kind mm. of like the 2018 class where, I mean, when I, when I covered the opening in Houston, so many of those defensive backs and receivers and all that, they're hanging out together. They're friends. That's what A&M is enjoying this year is those friends going all, all going together. With DeMond committed, I mean, obviously he's 2020, and I think that recruitment's not going to be over until he signs. But, I mean, with, with all those Houston area kids this time going to A&M, he's going to have those that pressure in his ear so – all Texas can do is win and continue recruiting him. And, of course, I, I think it helps that the offensive line is, is looking improved and hope that teams like, like Bama and LSU just kind of roll over A&M and kind of let the momentum take it where it will. Yeah, I think I think there's multiple reasons that 12 sacks on Kellen Mond will do a lot of good things for us next week. So let's let's hope Bama pushes them right in. Um, so moving on, you know, I'm I'm a receivers guy. That's where I look. We had a couple uh, a couple kids show up too that that I'm excited about. Um, where do we stand on? You can you can pick the order you you want, but either uh, Elijah Higgins or or Marcus Washington. Um, do we have any updates on either of those guys? Yeah, from what I've been seeing. Um... I would not be at all surprised if, like, like when the Brian Carrington's bat signal came out last night, um, that may be, that may be Washington. I mean, he's since the visit, he's had a ton of crystal balls roll in, mm-hmm. and it, there, it's just one of those things where he fell in love with the atmosphere. His parents were fine with it. Um, I'm not sure if that was his father or a cousin or whatever. Um, who was on Twitter pretty much saying like, we're we're good wherever you go with the Texas stuff, and that, I mean, if I think that he's gonna be a guy. I mean, the other competition was Missouri. And quite simply, other than the home field, like just being home kind of thing, you can't compete with right. 103,000 people. And which I mean, this is another guy that was should have been committed to, to Oklahoma, not Oklahoma State, um, Ohio State a few months ago. And it's just one of those things where recruiting is weird, man. He was he was headed to Ohio State. Then the, the whole Urban Meyer stuff happened. And right now, Texas may be getting a, a top 10 receiver. So I think he's there. Uh, Elijah Higgins, on the other hand, um. When when I spoke with him a few months ago, uh, I mean he was he was respectful towards Texas. Those I mean obviously there's interest because it was the hometown, but he's a guy right. who wants the ball, and I mean he, he's a guy who wants the ball. Obviously he's he's extremely high on Stanford's academics though, and he has family in Florida. Um, he didn't tilt it anyway, but I just got the vibe from talking to him that Florida was probably the team highest on his mind. Okay, and I, from what we've heard in the meantime, uh, just. Like people telling us stuff from people close to him, it's it's Stanford or Florida. But then you have the reports. I mean, just like like we've said, it, it's recruiting. He visited Texas. Now all of a sudden, Texas is on his mind again. So right. I think this will be a thing where the scheduled commitment gets pushed back, and the longer it does, the better it could be for Texas. Well, and, and receiver is one of those positions. We saw Josh Moore get a, you know big touchdown catch, and and we've seen some of the young guys step in. I think it's if we get one of of these two guys, we're we're sitting pretty. Um, getting both obviously is a luxury, right? Do you, do you have a uh, obviously we hate missing an Austin guy because then when they go on to do big, people you know tweeted at us that you know we didn't we didn't land him. But is there a uh, if you had to pick one of these two, is there one who fits better into the Texas offense, or you think can can come in day one and, and contribute right away? Um. I really like – I haven't seen too much of Washington. 
and I've seen a ton of Higgins. Um, I really like what Higgins does from just like a size and physicality standpoint. Mm-hmm. They've talked about using him like a Humphrey, and right. I see that, which is pretty ideal because, I mean, if uh, – I don't expect it to happen, but the way he's going, I mean, Humphrey's probably going to at least entertain some some NFL draft talk. So that's a guy that they're going to end up replacing within the next two years at max anyway, and you're going to need a, a big physical guy who can make plays. I mean, even for his size, he's pretty pretty agile. So um, I, I really like what, what Higgins brings to the table, and then, of course, you, you always want to have that strong – pipeline in-state you don't want to see in-state guys leaving just right just for the purpose of it you want to be able to dominate your state and more more specifically your backyard I mean you don't you don't want to see guys like um Garrett Wilson going to Ohio State so so last little bit is man Texas is you know for better or worse really cleaning up with guys outside of of the Lone Star State where you know years past it's been you know stay home and maybe a guy or two from outside. So, you know, the out-of-state guys that are already committed, uh, you know, guys like Floyd, Lee Brock, those types of guys who are vocal on social media, vocal at the camps. How big are they as Texas tries to make a push for some of these last few out-of-state guys like Sanders, like Kane, you know, like these names that we've brought up that are not necessarily in Texas, uh, but have Texas uh, on their minds? No, I think they're extremely important. Um, you have a guy like DeGabriel Floyd who, which if Texas ends up getting Brew McCoy, that's going to be a guy who can get a lot of the credit for that because they're extremely close. Um, I think it's just one of those things where you have familiarity. There's, hey, I'm from California, but, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where you would rather go somewhere and have somebody similar to you, have somebody from a similar background. And just having those guys in their ear being able to, to constantly be like that, that comforting voice. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's really as simple as that. Just having somebody from a similar background, a similar area, be able to kind of give you some comfort on making that decision. And I mean, I, I think that's why when you see guys like Marcus Washington and stuff, they'll mm-hmm. get talked to by ADO. And I mean, there's Texas building that pipeline is, I mean, it's a national brand anyway. These kids know what I mean. E- even though Texas is pretty irrelevant, they're going to know the brand. And I think what will help is when more guys start to get in there and be successful. Um, that's when you can see Texas really have a national imprint. But uh, I think for the most part, the out-of-state guys are kind of doing their thing in terms of bringing others. I mean, you there, there's only one from Florida right now, but you look at California, there's three. Arizona has yeah. two. I mean, they're, they're kind of bunching up. And I'm – I mean, I – I'm pretty sure I read that before Darian Brown committed Kenyatta Watson and his father were talking to him about like the positives of the program, that kind of stuff. I mean, just having somebody assure you for something, especially a parent sending your kid away. Right. Having those kind of assurances and just, I, I think that's, it's just definitely one of those things where you, you get to see more than what you just see on Twitter. You can sit down with somebody, you know, and trust and kind of get that opinion. Well, and it, it seems it seems like the one thread coming out of the whole thing is everyone talked about the family atmosphere. And I know, you know, obviously there's the Mac Brown kind of good old family, you know, Southern, uh, you know, folksy. And then there's Charlie Strong, who literally the players felt like was a family member. Do you have any insight into what Herman's doing that's giving recruits that that kind of Texas family feel that they walk away with the, the warm fuzzies? Other than home cooked breakfasts. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm I'm trying to think of who it was. I think maybe Lewis Sign, um, but there was like a specific food that I don't think he had ever told them he liked, and he had it waiting for him in his hotel. No, way. just like one thing I can say is they're extremely like meticulous to detail. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think you arrive feeling welcomed because it's already so personal. Yeah. And from from people I've talked to like around the program who just train their athletes, who train the recruits that end up going there, stuff like that, they've kind of echoed the the stuff you'll see on on message boards that there's just like a genuine recruiting approach to it. Like, um, I mean, when I was talking to Garrett Wilson, he's like, "Yes, Texas still talks to me, and it's not even recruiting based. It's just." them just checking on how my life is going, how things are going like for me personally. And right. that's the kind of thing that gives the parent confidence in, in letting their kid go there, that it's, it's not just about what you can do for us. It's like, how are you doing as a person? What are, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a deeper level to it. And not that Texas is entirely unique in that. I'm sure that's the way a lot of places, but yeah, until yeah. Texas becomes Texas again, that has obviously helped Texas still recruit extremely well, despite being like 500 the last decade (laughs) (laughs) i love it well cody thank you so much man where can the folks follow you on the internet to get some more of these recruiting hot takes yeah you will find my horrible takes at cody daniel sbn awesome well cody thank you so much for hopping on next time we have some uh a big recruiting weekend we'll definitely have to to tap you again man no doubt time to go enjoy some bourbon y'all boys be easy take it (laughs) i appreciate it man all right so we're heading into Big 12 play, Kyle, and it's uh, it's a little bit of a, of a tough stretch the first few weeks. So Texas kicks off against uh, the Texas Christian Horn Frogs, who are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, ESPN has it 60-40 Texas, so getting some mixed signals there. But history is not on the Longhorn side. Uh Texas is 1-5 against TCU since the Horned Frogs joined the conference. Uh, Texas has been outscored 153-22 to in the last four games. So it is safe to say that Gary Patterson does not worry about the Longhorns when he goes to bed at night. Uh, But this is a different year. TCU looks to have reloaded I don't I want to say they are reloading because they looked pretty good against an Ohio State team that's probably going to compete for a national championship mm-hmm. um, so with Aloe Black in the house on uh, on Saturday Kyle what are you seeing uh, as far as matchup goes for Texas against the Horn Frogs well I, I think one thing that's that's really important is that um, Texas had the home field advantage against USC and they need that extra Bit they can get. They need everything they get. I think the way you saw it, the way you called it out, it's basically, however you want to slice it, it's about a 50-50 game. Vegas giving um, TCU basically the equivalent of, of, of a home field advantage, a field goal, but it's a, it's a push, effectively. Um, so I think fans coming out and getting that game day experience, which has been fantastic, ratcheted up to the same level it was, if not more, because this is Big 12 now, is important. Um, there, was, there was an Ohio State defender who's played for four years and played in college football playoffs against some of the best teams in the country who said TCU has the most team speed of any team he's ever played uh, in his career up to this point. So it's it's a dangerous proposition. They're a team that could bust at any point and go big. They had a 98-yard rush against Ohio State. They, they you know... They have weapons. They have game breakers. They have they have danger all over the field. Um, I think that TCU coming in averaging almost forty two points a game um, 
admittedly up against some lesser defenses than than UT, but still are going to put up points. I think this is where we talked about Big 12. Um, it's a little bit you know disconcerting that we don't have all of our linebackers available with Overshone and Roach, but maybe this is where we see truly like a two-linebacker um, set, like a 4-2-5, become our base defense in the Big 12. So we'll see what Orlando rolls out, but they need to match speed out there. You're going to need to see um, you know, a lot of these defensive backs, the hitters who can also get back in cover uh, out there because this needs to be a swarming team defense to try to slow that down. Um, I do think that Sean Robinson is a good quarterback. However, I think that he might be susceptible. He's thrown three interceptions this year. He might be susceptible to a really good – this is by far the best secondary um, that they've faced. Um, I think Ohio State is really good, but I think um, I think Texas is, is a team secondary with weaknesses – in it, and if they if TCU pinpoints those weaknesses and they're able to exploit them, they will they will destroy Texas. But if Texas plays um, as a unit, the way that they looked in the last you know two quarters against USC, then I think basically mitigating and making this a jump ball game, you're going to see more than just the one interception. You're going to see UT's players, Chris Boyd, you know, a, a potential first or second round type caliber cornerback. You're going to see Devonte, who is one of the most physical cornerbacks in the conference. You're going to see Caden Stearns, who's playing like you know, playing like he's been around for 50 games already. You're going to see these guys eat. The two guys I worry about, and we we don't want to call anyone out, but that I worry about are, are Brandon Jones and P.J. Locke, both guys who um, had some struggles against USC, but also have the ability to be game breakers. You saw P.J. Locke with the big hit of the year so far against Tulsa, and then you saw Brandon Jones with probably the other play of the game against USC with coming across the field to make a tackle uh, on a fourth-and-one play that really turned the tide um, in, in the Longhorns' favor. So, again, even your weaker so far, your, your more senior guys, but weaker guys have a potential to make game-breaking plays. So I think it really comes down to how the, the kind of depleted linebacking core can cope and if Wheeler and Johnson can continue to play at an all-conference level. And then I think, you know, what that secondary is able to do against the Monsters and the Speed Stars at TCU, this might just be a shootout. So what do you think about, you know, defense or offense? Where, where are you looking watching most of this game? So I think you hit it on the head. I think a linebacker is going to be a, a spot. I'm honestly excited to see some Jeff McCullough. Uh, out there on the field. He was a guy that when Texas landed him a couple years ago, I was really excited. And then he just hasn't, I don't know what, maybe it was coaching under Charlie Strong. I don't know what it was, but just he hasn't seemed to live up to his potential. And, you know, as far as he's probably one of the smartest defenders Texas has, I have seen him favorably compared as far as uh, actual intelligence and football intelligence to the Achos. Which, if you don't know anything about the Achos, those dudes were like pre-med and playing football. So, uh, yeah, those are pretty smart guys. So, the... I want to see a guy like McCullough step up and maybe rewrite a bit of his legacy at Texas. Um, You know, for me, I think you hit the nail on the head. If, If Texas can get third and fourth quarter performance from the defense... I think Texas has a has a legitimate shot, more than a legitimate shot, to win this game. I think if they get too many flashes of first quarter Texas or Maryland defense Texas, TCU's just too well coached of a team to leave those points on the on the field. That's that's what push comes to shove is that Gary Patterson teams don't really leave too many missed opportunities. So you've kind of got to be, be on your P's and Q's for the full four quarters. And so that's my biggest worry is that can Texas put together a full four quarters? Cause they haven't done it yet. You know, they, they put, you know, three and three and ish three point 
won quarters against <laughs> USC. Uh, you know, they had two good quarters against uh, Tulsa. Maryland was kind of just a weird game. So that's that's my biggest thing that I'm watching for is can Texas come out and be consistent? play like they have and they know they can they have played really really well in spots and they were they looked better than than any team i've seen in burnt orange probably the last four or five years uh in those last three quarters against usc yeah and and i i was thinking back to you i remember and and i encourage everyone to go seek it out and and maybe we'll tweet it out the the uh, preview show we had with uh um Mrs. Treebwasser from Frogs of War, which was one of my favorite previews we had. She was great. But uh, one of the things we talked about was that running game. We talked about Darius Anderson, who looks every bit a monster. Um, but really, their offensive line brings back four or five from last year um, and, and has looked, you know, the part this year as as one of the premier offensive lines in the Big 12. For you, Gerald, do you think with the, I don't want to call it a breakthrough, but clearly a, a step up in a big one you know maybe they 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 gathered themselves like a little kid and jumped up two steps on the staircase um the defensive line getting pressure against usc and a pretty good usc line last week do you think that carries over and is that something that must carry over to get pressure uh on on sean robinson well i think one they have to they absolutely have to get get pressure on him i think if you can get again if you can if you can force TCU to have to lean on you for three quarters and then just out athlete them at the end of the game because Texas has the athletes on, mm-hmm. on the, on the defensive line. Now that's not saying T- TCU's probably got a couple of guys that are going to be playing on Sundays, but you know what? Charles Amena, who's definitely going to be playing on Sundays and Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler are definitely going to be playing on Sundays. Like I, I think it, I don't want to say it's, it's a, it's definitely not a 50, 50 matchup, but I think, if we can figure out where Breck Hager has, has Heck gone yeah. missing, I think Texas has a shot. I think Breck Hager may be an X factor for Texas because he's kind of just not been there. Uh, you know, he's he's gotten bullied off the line. He had a couple of plays where he was able to kind of, uh, you know, push the, push the tackle down into the guard and kind of blow some things up. But the overwhelming majority of the plays, it's not the Breck Hager we saw from the second half of last year. And so I think if Breck Hager can – can figure out what it is that he needs to get going or, you know, and I, I, I admittedly did not watch the offensive line as closely as I should have. Maybe he's grabbing double teams. And if he is, then more power to you. Eat two blocks with one big man. But like, I, I need, I need those defensive ends to be able to set an edge because again, if Darius Anderson catches a corner Mm -hmm. as talented as the Texas secondary is, I always take the running back. That's just always, I always take the running back in the open field because that's what running backs do. Yeah, and, and he might be one of the fastest in the country. So, I mean, he's he's an absolute scary monster. So just to look real quick, you know, because I don't want this to be a three-hour preview, looking at the, the TCU defense, um, you know, UT's making some strides on offense, um, and it does look like against Ohio State that TCU's defense, I don't want to call them susceptible to certain plays, but they, they, they were a bit hot and cold. You know, they, they looked good, and, and, and then it was like they let Ohio State go. And that's a great, great Ohio State offense, so I, I, I get that. But, uh, you know, that's clearly the outlier. Again, with the opponents they've played this season, it's hard to get a read of which one they are. Um, but do you see a, a particular area, maybe if that running game gets going again, or if Ingram's able to play and add a third dimension to that running game, or is it the size of our receivers? Do you see an offensive strength? Like, where do, you, where do we win on the offense? 
I think I think the offense has to win on uh, setting up as many favorable matchups in the passing game as they can. If if Keontae Ingram is healthy and like we saw against USC, if you can force a defense to respect the R in the RPO, you're going to have one of your massive receivers in single coverage. There are just not enough guys on the field to have, you know, you can't have six in the box and six in the secondary. It's just not possible to do. So you've got to be able to be balanced. And so if Ingram is back, I think Texas has its best advantage of being back. I honestly expect to see a higher a number of carries for Daniel Young this week just because he's the back that can dish out some punishment. So I think if you can have him bang in there for three yards a down and maybe picks up three and a half a couple times, like I would expect to see Danny Young get quite a few touches this week. Yeah, and he's our yak back. You know, he's the dude who's not going to go down. Sometimes we, we saw, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Hold the to ball, kid. Hold the ball. But I love that he's going to punish. So, I mean, if this is a game where this is the type of uh, – this is the type of – you know, boxing match that is going to go 12 rounds. If you're going to wear them out, then a good way to do that is the gut punches with, with Danny Young up the middle. You know, it doesn't have to be haymakers. You know, get that line, get get Cosme to keep doing what he's doing. Uh, Calvin Anderson, I was reading one of the, the pro football focus, has been one of the best. I didn't, I didn't see this with my eyes. I've gone back and watched and seen, but one of the best pass blocking tackles in the country this year, the way they've graded him out. So, I mean, you basically have kind of, it looks like we have a lot of our success running on the right side and, and you know, getting that, that good uh, blindside protection on the left side, which, you know, Vahe somewhere in that mix but either way you know like if we're if we're running behind um the the kind of newfound Kerstetter Rodriguez um Cosme right side that that seems to be working and we're able to do that enough that we wear that defense down that again at the end of the game you know you have you have guys like Colin Johnson who can just get up and get over someone and secure a ball you have guys like Lil Jordan Humphrey who is not ever at the losing end of a matchup, right? He's always got the matchup schematic advantage wherever you put him and wherever you get him. And maybe that's, again, running out some packages where he gets the ball in different ways. But, you know, I I just can't help but feel like this is a toss-up game that is coming out in the fourth quarter where, you know, who's the smarter team, who made less mistakes, and, you know, maybe in that point I bring it all the way back to where we started. That's the home field advantage. That's the players feeling like they're, you know, they're playing for something. That's UT coming out and, you know, having that little extra oomph in the fourth quarter, and that's what puts us up. But I do think Vegas might be right on the money, that three points either way, um, you know, within a touchdown either way is where I could see this one heading. Yeah, and, you know, Ingram is questionable this week. Uh you know, Texas is still thin at linebacker. You've got uh, Overshone, who's out for another couple of weeks. Roach is going to be out for basically all of Big 12 play, yeah. unfortunately. So, you know, I think if Texas can stay healthy, if Texas can um, really make it through these tough, it's really like it's a front-loaded Big 12 schedule. So you've got TCU, Kansas State. You know, you've got the tough ones, OU right there up front. Uh, so it, this is, I think this is going to be a true – uh, true litmus test of what this team is made of through conference play. It's important to remember that Longhorn Republic is intimately tied to this particular rivalry. Gerald, you are a man who, judging by your, your Instagram posts and even some of your text messages, well established in his life as a father. And you're a man who is one of the best husbands. When I get married, you know, soonish, I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, I, I can do the types of things you do as a... No, you're truly, you're a great husband. Do you mind my, my asking, that. how long have you been married? Uh, five years. It was at your bachelor party when we ended it. 
with the TCU game as the as the, the the grand event that we wrapped it all up with, where we all went to the TCU game that had the rain delay, et cetera, et cetera. Case McCoy, you know, we, we all know the story. Tyrone Swoops' first game, burnt the shirt. It was that game <laughs> was the last time that we beat TCU. It was the last time we looked like we might even beat TCU. So I think we need to put all of our collective Longhorn Republic uh, powers that we, we when we came together on that day and were able to will them to a victory, we need to you know put that psychic energy, those good vibes, whatever it is, T's and P's, whatever we have to do, we need to put that all towards this TCU game. This because it can only be us. We're the only ones who can truly affect the outcome of this game. It took a literal biblical downpour for Texas <laughs> to win. Kyle, I feel like you just said it's going to take an act of God, and I don't feel that way, but that's that's completely okay. Uh, but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions in college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. But before I kick it to Kyle, I want to say our boy Timothy on Twitter, Timothy Burrell, I think I'm saying your name correctly, correct me if I'm not, but he got into the conversation last week. So if you have responses to our bang the drum, tweet us at Longhorn Pod. This isn't a monologue. It's a dialogue. We want to hear from you. So Kyle, now with that being said, how, what are you banging the drum on this week? So this one is, is, is a, it's a tough story, but it's a feel good story. So um, one of the plays of the game that I was most excited about was, was freshman Joshua Moore, a guy we've talked about a lot on this podcast as being one of the players in the spring game we saw coming up and then through the offseason kind of got on the depth chart and we're like, well, let's see what he can do. And the coaches were really hot on him and, and he kind of saw it all pay off. He, he had his first big play for the Longhorns against USC and it was a beautiful kind of uh, seam route where he, you know, he had just enough of a, of a shimmy one way and, and jet back the other way that it shook a defender to get him the steps. Ellinger put one of his best passes of, of the day, if not the season, right over the shoulder on the money in stride and, and Joshua Moore went full extension. Had it not been for that Duvernay catch against Maryland, probably our catch of the season in my mind you know it's right up there in the short list full extension full speed caught a beautiful touchdown pass for you know just under 30 yards um again one of the big plays that that helped really get the uh, the wind sealed and, and change the momentum um but but you know on on twitter joshua moore tweeted out that was for you brother uh ride with me and the kind of backstory there is his older brother uh quentin committed suicide you know uh, about five years ago um and, and you know there's a there's a great article on burn orange nation that kind of goes into more detail and i won't i won't put it all here but it was on uh it was his 20th birthday and and it was Something that he said is a scar that will never heal, and, and he plays for him. And I, I, I happen to follow him on on social media, and you know he's he's a at least you know outwardly religious man, and he, he puts you know Bible verses on his on his social media before uh, games and everything. And you know I, I can just see um, you know the effect that that has on you, and 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 you know that some of the verses, if you read them a little bit, you know are about that. And, and he does feel a little bit like he's his brother's keeper, and he goes through um, and he's starting his Longhorn career, and he's a kid I'm going to be rooting so unbelievably hard for because that's um that's just one of those things that that's blood and that's you know truly thicker than water and that's not something you ever get over but it may be something that makes him better he has something to um to play for and to kind of be the wind beneath his wings um and so i i just want to say that that was reading that story was a tough one but i'd encourage everyone to do it because it's one of the like one of the great stories that, that that I've heard here this season around just the college football landscape. And I think it's important, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago or a week ago was the, the national suicide kind of prevention day. And I, and anyone who's listening to this, just, you know, think about that story and about the, the other side of it and how people come out and, you know, it affects all kinds of people, but just, you know, 
I don't want to get too serious on this podcast, but I do hope that everyone, um, you know, take care of yourself. Think about, you know, a couple of your friends a day and just shoot them a text and say you love them. And, you know, even if you're, you're like our relationship, Gerald, as we joke with each other, just remind, you know, men, women, all your friends, just tell them, tell them you care about them. Remind people that you never know when you're going to be the ray of sunshine in someone's life. So not to, you know, to be a downer, because, again, this is a this is a feel good story about um, about him coming through on the other side. But I just, you know, to be serious for a moment. I uh, wanted to say that that I'm going to be rooting for Josh Moore, you know, even harder than than I would have been uh, just just off being a great great player on the Longhorns team. Joshua Moore is a, is a heck of a young man, and and it's um, it's a it's a tragedy is what happened to his family and and what they're going through. But it's um, it's always inspiring to see somebody that's able to take one of the darkest moments of their life and, and use it. Uh, as as inspiration to do something positive rather than uh, continue a cycle of of negativity and and carry that so it's it's really tough and it's hard to follow that but uh, now I'm banging the drum this week on on record setting attendance for the Texas Longhorns 103,507 fans packed Daryl K Royal Texas Memorial Stadium on Saturday and it is incredible what happens when Texas actually has a home field advantage and we are also the internet's foremost Chris Del Conte fanboys <laughs> and the changes that he has made to the student section where it's kind of a stampede first come first serve situation has really made that an event whereas you know I had my seat I know where my section is I can stay at the tailgate an extra 15 no big deal now I got to get there if I want a seat putting the band behind the opposing team it's incredible so just the the game day changes and in the you see what happens I know our head coach does not believe in momentum but I you know what Kyle you're not in Mensa I I'm not I'm not in Mensa I believe in momentum I believe that momentum is a real thing, and whether it's it's a, it's an emotional and um, kind of mental response when things are going well. You have a good day, and things just start to go well for you for the rest of the day. So um, I, I think that all those things play into play into Texas's hand, where DKR should be a terrifying place to go. DKR should be a place where you know what teams come in and they walk out holding the biggest L of their careers. And I, I think that um, if fans can continue to pack out that stadium, then it is going to continue to help Texas trend in the positive. Yeah, and, and Mo Bamba was not the only Mo in attendance on, on Saturday. Like you said, uh, the, the momentum was real. That one I, I did plan. Um, was was real uh, on Saturday. It was beautiful. It was palpable. Shout out to a good friend of the pod, Stephen, who was giving me live updates. Uh, he actually texted me as, as it looked like we were about to win, that uh, if we won, he was going to ride out of the stadium on Bevo. So everyone there seemed to be on a high. Um, and I will give shout outs again, just to wrap it up full circle to, to Cristo Conti and as much as I hate to do it as a Texas Cowboy to the Silver Spurs for what they do with Bevo. I think the new entrance where Bevo comes through the smoke and just you know, there's something hugely energetic about that. And, you know, Bevo 15's three now. He's got a good old beefy set of horns on him. Looks like a monster coming out of there. It's really cool. And it gets the fans extra hype. So he's turning it into an experience that is unlike probably any other in the country. And so it's on the fans to keep coming out, taking advantage of that, but taking that, getting the extra energy and giving it back. You know, um, I'm excited. I can't wait. I haven't been to a home game this season I'll be going later this year, but I can't wait to take in my first one to really, really see all of that. Uh, it looks awesome on TV. 
I'm I'm so excited. I am I'm going to my first home game in like a decade, uh, in, in a few weeks. So I'm super hyped about that. Uh, but that is all we have for you this week. Uh, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. As I plug every week, you can check out the Texas Pregamer over at Barking Carnival. I believe that's BarkingCarnival.com backslash Texas Pregamer. But uh, just Google it. Um, we do some some good uh, LOLs over there to uh, to be themed with the weekly opponent, and it's usually a pretty good time. So check that out. Give me some some of those page views and and maybe some comments if uh, what you think is what you think worked. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. I'm recording my monthly uh, nerd news podcast. My co-host and I are both uh, sports writers, football writers. So our normally weekly podcast becomes a monthly in the fall, and that's okay. Uh, called Two Woke Nerds. We're talking uh, Captain Marvel and the Predator this month. So. Be excited for that. You can check us out at Two Woke Nerds. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, put the biscuit in the basket. Ooh, hook them. Hook them.